right, well, uh, before I begin the sermon, I want to just share a few words uh, regarding our current situation here. Uh, these are definitely troubling times. Everyone in our nation and so many millions of people around the world are sheltering in their homes and staying away from other people as much as possible. This past week, I have been feeling down and depressed, and it came to a point on Friday where I really had to confront myself and ask, what is going on? Uh, why do I feel this way? Uh, you know, like uh, David confronted him, himself in Psalm 42, he said, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? And as I thought and prayed, I realized something. I am grieving. And I'm grieving because so much that I was looking forward to has been taken away. I'm grieving because we won't be able to meet together for worship as a church, which is a highlight of my week. I'm grieving because we have been really getting into a great study of Exodus in our Sunday school class, and now it seems that has been taken away from us. I'm grieving because uh, schools are closed and we haven't been able to meet with the youth group and I'm not sure when we will again. I've been feeling this sense of loss and I'm grieving over it and my guess is that's probably what many of you have been feeling as well. We don't know when this will end or if life will ever get back to normal again, so we grieve. We grieve for what has been lost. And so I turned in my Bible to Psalm 42 and I saw what King David told himself when he was cast down, when his soul was in turmoil. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, we have to speak to ourselves and tell ourselves what is true. And David told himself in Psalm 42, hope in God, hope in God. Put your hope in God, not in those things you lost. Hope in God, for he is our salvation. He is our shelter. He is our God. So I encourage all of you, brother and sister, put your hope in God. Use this opportunity to get yourselves right with him. If you have been disobedient, Repent and trust in his promise to forgive you and to save you through the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard many say, hey, you know, since our kids are home, our family is, 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 is home together, let's use this as opportunity to get to know our family better. And that's, that's great. That's great. But also, use this opportunity to get to know the Lord better. Let us press on to know the Lord. Now, let's then turn to our sermon for this morning. We are still focusing on our church's statement of faith, and we are on Article 8 in our statement of faith, which is the statement on Christian living. And so I'm going to read the statement, but I encourage you to scroll down on the email message that we sent you. Uh, find Article 8 on there. It's printed on there on the email message and then, and then follow along as I read it. So here is Article 8 of our Statement of Faith. 
We believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion toward the poor, and justice for the oppressed. With God's word, the Spirit's power, and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. Now, one of the key Bible passages that our statement of faith is based off of here uh, comes from the Gospels, where the Lord Jesus was asked about what he regarded to be the greatest commandment in the law. Or uh, another way to put it, um, which is kind of how it literally is put in Matthew 22, is that of all the commandments in the law, which is the one we ought to make us, uh, or we ought to make as a priority over all the rest? What's the greatest one? What's the, what's the top one? If we are to follow God and be faithful to the way of life that he's calling us to follow in this world, it would be good for us to know what God considers to be the greatest way. And uh, three times in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Lord Jesus makes clear what that is. So I chose to focus on, on Matthew's account of this. It's in Matthew 22, uh, 34 through 40. I encourage you, uh, if you have not yet, uh, open up your Bibles to Matthew 22 and uh, turn in those Bibles to verse 34. And we'll be reading uh, that paragraph, 34 through 40. So I'm going to pray uh, right here as we begin to uh, read God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask you now for your help that you would come and that you would minister to us through your Word. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Father, help us to know you through your Word and to know what you desire for us as your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Matthew 22 34 through 40. This is the word of the Lord. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That is the word of the Lord. And our theme then from these verses here, um, Matthew twenty-two thirty-four through 40, is that the life of a Christian is indelibly characterized by love. The life of a Christian is indelibly characterized by love. We're going to look first at uh, verses 34 through 36. The heading I put over those verses is, in an age of confusion, it is helpful to know the way of life which the Lord considers to be great. So in Matthew 22, Jesus was getting very close to the day of his crucifixion. He was in Jerusalem and was teaching Publicly, and the different religious leaders of the Jews were trying to challenge his teaching. 
and even trying to, to trick him into saying something that they could use against him, something that they could use to, to accuse him of being contrary to the law of God or contrary to the law of the Romans over them. They were trying to make a fool out of Jesus with some of their questions, but time and time again, Jesus was actually making fools out of them. Even this question that was asked of him in these verses was done with evil intent. Look again, verses 34 and 35. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So the Pharisees were scheming here. They were trying to test him. They were seeking to trip him up with this question. It was not asked, at least here in Matthew, it was not asked with, with pure intentions, but with evil ones. Yet this question really provided a great opportunity for the Lord to share such needed and precious instructions for us. So as I heard one pastor put it, here we have another example of how God brings good out of evil. And it really is helpful for us to know what the Lord considers to be the greatest way to live or the greatest thing to do. The people of Israel in the days of Jesus' ministry had, had many different schools of thought regarding what it means to, to faithfully follow God, to, to, to live well um, as, as a Jewish people. Some, some schools of thought were, were very strict in following all the commandments of the law intended to rest their hope in what they were able to accomplish on their own. There were others who had a hard time believing in the supernatural aspects of God's word. Uh, they followed God's law quite loosely, you might say, but ultimately they used their own reason to decide what was best for them to do in each circumstance. And you know, we also have different schools of thought in the world that we live in that are actually quite similar. So many of our neighbors are resting their hope for life in just being a good enough person. That as long as they treat people the right way and uh, do some things that are good for other people, that, that, that they will be good enough to earn themselves a place in heaven, if there is one. There are others who very strictly seek to obey everything that God says and even make lists of other rules to follow. Uh, like the others, they, they too tend to trust in their own righteousness. And of course, the majority of folks that we hear from in the media reject anything supernatural and, and, and they mock anyone who would take God's word with any seriousness. They believe we can judge for ourselves what is right and what is wrong and anyone can decide for his or herself what reality means to them. And almost anything goes. The mantras are follow your heart and be true to yourself. But here in Matthew 22, we are actually given the opportunity to hear from God himself what he considers to be the greatest way to live. We get to hear the mantra from the very one who created us in his image and who made the world and everything in it. And what we find immediately from his response is that the way of life which he says is the greatest way to live is particularly God-centered. 
That is, when we think about our lives and the best way to live them, we must first think about our relationship with God. We must think of God. And so our second uh, point here from verses 37 through 39 then is that wholehearted devotion to God and loving our neighbors in both word and deed are the highest priorities for the Christian. Let's look back at our text and uh, read verses 37 through 39 here. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus responds to the questioner by doing something that, that he often did. He quoted scripture. The questioner might have been asking him, um, you know, maybe about which of the Ten Commandments was the most important one, since, you know, those were always looked to, then all the other ceremonial and civil laws laid out in the Torah. But, but Jesus instead here goes to the book of Deuteronomy. First, and he goes to Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, to be exact, and he quotes that verse. This would have been a very familiar verse to all who heard him quote it here, for it was a, a part of the daily practice for every faithful Jew to quote these verses from, from Deuteronomy 6 regarding the importance of loving their covenant God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind. And then Jesus then quotes after that from Leviticus 19, verse 18, when he mentions a second commandment, which goes right along with the greatest one, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So now a few things stand out to us about these commandments, which the Lord Jesus referred to as the greatest. Uh, the first observation is that they are commands which point directly to our primary relationships. The first points to our relationship with God. The second, our relationship with others. Jesus didn't say the greatest command is that you should worship the Lord your God or that you should do certain things for the Lord your God, but that you shall love the Lord your God. The only way one can love him is through being in a relationship with him. You have to know him to love him. And that immediately points to our need for the gospel. It points to our need for reconciliation with God, for as sinners, how can we be in a loving relationship with God when we are separated from him because of our sin? How can we enjoy a relationship with a holy God when we are under his condemnation for our sin? When our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against God, he sent them away from his presence. And later God said through the prophet Isaiah, that our iniquity, that is our sin, has separated us from God. Yet we all know that God still came and he initiated a relationship with his people. First, through his prophets and giving the law for sacrificial offerings for sin on the altar. And now he has come and initiated a relationship with us through his son, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. We can never really love God until we are at peace with him, and that has been made possible to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In our sin, we are all under his wrath, deserving death, deserving hell, for living like we don't need him, for doing the very things that he has commanded us not to do, and yet, out of his mercy and grace, the Son of God died on the cross, paying the just penalty for our sins. So now, if we put our hope in what Christ has accomplished and repent of our sin, we can have peace with God. And that peace then begins our relationship with God, where we can love him, where we can follow him, where we can even please him. So do you have such a relationship with the Lord? I think one clear thing that this this coronavirus pandemic is doing for us is it is causing us to consider where we are at with the Lord. What is our hope in? Is it in this life only? Or do we have a relationship with God which we are assured will last forever beyond the grave? So I would encourage you, if you have not, repent of your sin, agree with God's word that you cannot depend upon yourself and your own works to make yourself right with with the Lord, and receive by faith the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ to make you right with God, and live at peace with him both now and forever. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is, be wholeheartedly devoted to him. Let nothing else come before God in your heart. This really speaks against our attempts at believing that we are right with God when we only give him scant attention in our lives. You know, one way to see where we're at with following this command is to ask, what is really big in my life? What is really big in my heart? What, what comes before God in my life? Do I have a relationship with someone else that I'm putting before God? That is, uh, am I much more devoted to pleasing this other person than I am to pleasing God? You can tell if a relationship with someone else is, is worth much more to you than your relationship with God when you are willing to, to disobey or go against God's word in order to keep your relationship going with this other person. God calls us to have wholehearted devotion to him. But is there something or someone that looms much larger in your heart than God does? Well, how do we love God? Is Jesus just talking about how we feel towards God? You know, I often hear hear Christians when they pray, tell God how much they love him. So is, is that all Jesus is, is, is asking us, us here? Is, is that all he is saying, just to make sure that, that we, we, we tell God that we love him and tell him that we love him often? Or is there something more? Well, I think the place where Jesus makes what, what loving God means uh, most clearly for us is in John chapter 14. So I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 14. Here in John 14... Jesus was helping his disciples understand the reasons for why he was about to do what he was about to do, which was to lay down his life on the cross as an atonement for our sins. And so in John chapter 14, let's look at verse 21. Here's what he says. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, that is, obeys them, 
he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then skip down to verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So we aren't loving God just because we say we do. Telling someone you love them doesn't mean you, you really love them. It's, it's what you do that shows whether or not you really love them. It's how you respond to them that shows whether or not you, you really love them. I, I can tell my wife seven times a day that I love her. But if I'm not listening to her when she talks with me, or if I treat her with disrespect, well, then she's going to know that no matter what I say, I don't really love her. The key way that you will know if you are really loving God is whether or not you, you do what he says. If you ignore his word, well, then obviously you aren't loving God. And one of the key commands that God has given us is that we are to love our neighbors here. So here is a test to see if we really love the Lord. What are we doing to serve or to care for our neighbors? Do we love our neighbors? Now, here we, we need to make a distinction, I think. For if you look at our country, especially in our current situation, you can see many people doing things to love and serve their neighbors. It's been encouraging to see so many people stepping up and doing things to care for their neighbors. In fact, you could say everyone in our national and state governments, from President Trump all the way down to, to Gina Euling, who, who leads our local area health department, they're doing some real good things to love their neighbors and help us all uh, to live well. And then let's not forget all those great people who serve us in the medical field, you know, nurses, uh, PAs, lab techs, doctors, and rescue workers. You, you can watch what they do and say, they are loving their neighbors well in this time of crisis. You've also probably seen different things on, on social media or, or the news. Examples of neighbors who are looking out for one another and serving each other. And I praise the Lord for that. It, it all points to the image of God in each of us to love and serve one another. But the question is, since the Lord has given this, this command especially to Christians, is there a difference in the way we are to love our neighbors that is distinct from those who do not follow Christ but yet are doing so much to serve others? Our statement of faith helps us here. In the last statement of Article 8, which we read earlier, it states, in obedience to Christ's commission, and Christ's commission is, of course, another command that we are to follow out of our love for the Lord and our love for our neighbor. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples of all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. I think it's much easier for us to love our neighbors in deed than to do so in word. Just doing things for our neighbors is far easier than, than, than to love them by sharing the hope of the gospel with them. Doing things for them is good. 
We are loving them if we help to feed our neighbor. We are loving them if we help to make sure that they have access to quality medical care. It, it is loving if we are working to serve our community by keeping it safe and clean or mentoring a student in our school system who could really use a responsible adult in their life to look up to. But if we as Christ's people who know the way of salvation, who have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus, who will be returning someday to judge the world of its sin, if we have the good news of the gospel and just keep that to ourselves and never share it with those we are serving, are we really loving our neighbor? Are we really showing love to our neighbor and to our Lord who has commanded us to make disciples to be his witnesses in all the earth? Brothers and sisters, the way to love our neighbor according to the Lord's command is to love them in both word and deed. Working for their good in this life as well as their eternal good in the life to come, which can only come through hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, and then responding to the gospel in faith and repentance. Now lastly, verse 40, love is at the center of the Christian life. Verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. These two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and, and, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What Jesus means here is basically that these two commandments are the nail from which all other com commandments hang suspended. If you take away the nail, then everything else in the law would come crashing down. All commandments would lose their true meaning would lose their significance and purpose if we did not love God and love our neighbor. Jesus is saying that it is only when we love God that we will then truly love our neighbor and that it is only when we love that we can truly obey what God says. For without love, we do not really understand what the commandments mean. In one way or another, all of the commandments are expressions of God's love. But if we don't love God, if we don't understand God's love for us through Jesus Christ, then we won't understand his commands as what they really are. They are not restrictions keeping us from, from having a good time. They are not heavy burdens that we must carry in order to serve the Lord as his slaves. No, they are expressions of his love for us. Living the Christian life depends on whether or not we really know the love of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We can't live the Christian life without a loving relationship with God. And if we don't have a loving relationship with God, which reveals itself through loving others, well, then we simply are not yet a Christian. So friends, we live in a confusing age as a pastor, one of the things that has troubled me the most is how confused we are as to who is a Christian and who isn't. So many claim to be. I've had parents, spouses, and fiancés try to convince me that the one they love is a Christian when their loved one shows no interest in obeying God or wanting to know him. 
There are leaders that you may have even heard who have written books or spoken at conferences who identify as homosexuals and they are proud of that and yet also claim to be Christians. Just like there are business owners and and salesmen who, who are known to be dishonest in their business but who also go to church every Sunday and claim to be Christians. So here we have it from the Lord Jesus that the definition of a Christian is one who loves God wholeheartedly and who also loves his or her neighbor as himself, loving them in word and deed. Now, none of us do that perfectly, but if we live by faith and repentance in Christ Jesus, this love, this love for the Lord and this love for others will characterize our lives more and more. May love be at the very center of your life. May love be at the very center of our lives as the church. Let us pray. O Lord, we confess our failure to love you with wholehearted devotion. We confess our failure and our sin for not loving others in both word and deed. Help us, O Lord. Fill us with your spirit so that we would know you and know your grace and that we would look upon others how you look upon them, that our hearts would be filled with loving kindness and patient endurance to love our neighbors well. Help us, Lord, not just for our own good, but so that you may be glorified in us. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, may the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.